Would you notice verse 1 of Psalm 14? It's interesting that if your Bible is like mine, uh, the, what is called the dedication of this psalm, it, it, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Uh, that's interesting. 53 times in the psalms you will see that, that prescript. Um, it, it's, it's, it lets us know that this song, this psalm, was not just to be sung individually, but it was to be sung corporately uh, by, the, by the choir there in the temple, uh, and then by God's people as a whole. It is believed that this was written by David himself, even though there is some question about that. Some say that, by the way, let me just quickly say this, that the little dedication part, <laughs> some, some say those were inspired, <laughs> others say they were not, <laughs> and I'm going to go with they are not inspired, right? I know the other, uh, the actual verses are inspired, so I'm not going to go to seed on <laughs> putting a flag down that the, that the dedications were inspired, because I don't believe that. Uh, I'm going to stand where I think I can safely stand scripturally, right? So, but we know that the verses are, <laughs> they're a part of God's word. Uh, some say David really didn't write this, that this was written much later after David had died. Uh, perhaps even some say written during the Babylonian captivity, or at least the threat of the invasion. We don't know that for sure. I choose to believe that David was the author of this psalm, the human author. I know who the, who the divine author was, and that's the Holy Spirit. But these are interesting words, because the very first phrase that you read was also used again in Psalm 53, verse 1. Would you notice it, please? The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Speaking of the fool, God said. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And they are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. It's an interesting word there. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then this question. <laughs> Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? In other words, that's a rhetorical question. And basically, the Lord is saying, uh, are all those who are foolish, do, 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 does no one have any knowledge of God anymore? That's basically what the Lord is saying. These individuals, he continues, they eat up my people as they eat bread and they call not upon the Lord. We'll find out what that means. They, there were they, they were there in great fear. For God is in the generation of the righteous. In other words, the fool, the worker of iniquity, 
The sinful person was in great fear and felt threatened by God and by God's people. And we'll learn next time that 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 was a threat to them was that God was in the midst of the righteous. Verse 6, you have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. In other words, you mocked, you ridiculed, you made fun of the poor. Those who trust in God, those who have no other recourse but trusted in God, you mocked them, you made fun of them, you, you disrespected and disregarded them. And then verse 7 is a prayer. It's a plea. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. In other words, this is David saying, Lord, basically, as he says in other passages, Lord, how long? How long are we going to have to put up with this? This threat, this lack of peace and harmony, this threat from others, outsiders, who hate Israel, who hate the fact that we love you, who hate the fact that your presence is here among us. Lord, basically, when is the salvation, the total salvation of Israel going to come? When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Would you, would you highlight verse 1? That... This opening phrase, this opening statement seems to set the tone for the rest of the psalm. And it's this, verse 1, that the fool hath said in his heart that there is no God. It's interesting that one of the writers and scholars, some scholars say, that literally that phrase, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They say that it literally means there is no God for me. In other words, it's not just that I don't believe in God or I don't believe there is a God. It's this for me, there's no God for me. That I reject not just the idea of a personal God, I reject the idea of a God for my life. No God for me. The title tonight is Practical Atheism. So I want you to think with me just a moment. In 1636... There was a college founded in Cambridge, Massachusetts. In fact, it is believed it was the very first college established in the colonies. And it was founded to train and educate the pastors and ministers of the colonies. In 1939, just three years later, the school's name became Harvard University. So named after the reverend, the pastor, John Harvard. This man bequeathed half of his estate and his entire library to the school upon his death. This significant gift by the Reverend John Harvard led the school to honor him by them changing the name to Harvard University. This college, Harvard, was intended to uphold Orthodox Puritanism That's why the college was established. 
Harvard president in 1655, Charles Chauncey, declared this statement that you and I as Bible-believing Christians ascribe to, and he wrote that all truth is God's truth. That was the president of Harvard University. In fact, Harvard was founded with the motto, quote, truth for Christ and the church, end of quote. That was in the 17th century. Fast forward to the 21st century. Things certainly have changed for America's oldest institution of learning. In August of last year, 2021, Greg Epstein, an atheist, was unanimously elected to be the president, not of Harvard, but of the Harvard's chaplains. <laughs> Let that sink in just a moment. Epstein is described by his peers as a godfather to the humanist movement. In his role as the president of the Harvard chaplains, he coordinates the activities of over 40 other chaplains from different religious backgrounds. He, this atheist, who's now the president of the chaplains of Harvard, has authored a book entitled Good Without God. Mr. Epstein said, and I quote, We don't look for a God for answers. We are each other's <laughs> answers. Boy, that sounds like just the bastion of humanism, does it not? And also the bastion of ignorance. Sadly, without intending any disrespect to him as a person, Mr. Epstein's words mirror the sentiment of not only a large percentage of students at Harvard, but I'm afraid... It mirrors the sentiment of a growing number of Americans who identify as atheist, agnostic, or completely non-religious. So yet, here we are tonight, sitting in our church building, and all of you that are here claim that you, like me, wholeheartedly believe in the Lord God. Beloved, can I say that we too, if we are not careful, we can fall into a very subtle trap of claiming we believe God and believe in God staunchly. And yet at times we can be betraying that confession by specific details of our lives that we do not allow the Lordship of Jesus to permeate and have his way with. So let me give you this first thought, and then we're going to pray, then we'll finish this later. So four truths that I see, and there are multiple ones, but four I just want to highlight from this psalm, but tonight I'm just going to highlight one, and that is, based on verse one, that every human feels the temptation, hear me, to live life on our own terms Every human feels the temptation to live life on our own terms. The fool 
has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The word fool there is the Hebrew word Nabal. It leads to the idea of something being withered or something being without sap. If I could say it this way, something that's dying or drying up, something that's lifeless. John Lang, a a commentator, referred to spiritual dullness, barrenness, worthlessness, in contrast with the religious freshness and the moral ability of the truly wise person that's also highlighted in this psalm. Notice the phrase, the fool, this, this, this spiritually lifeless, spiritually dried up person says in his heart, there is no God. This is describing a disposition of heart which puts itself in practice. It's an atheism of heart and life. It's interesting to me, gang, that the text doesn't say that the fool says in his head, there is no God. It says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, why does it say the fool says in his heart? Well, some have speculated, and I really believe this is true, that a thinking person is not an atheist. You see, practical atheism is not a mad matter of logic. Practical atheism is a matter of volition. Atheism is not a logical choice. It's a volitional choice. You deliberately make the choice not because it appeals to logic, but because it appeals to the rebellion and the innate depravity of the human heart and mind. There is no God for me. Now, gang, think with me just a moment as we come down the home stretch. Why do you think that we all battle this temptation? at some level, to live our lives independently of God. Well, the easiest, I say the easiest in air quotes, the easiest thing to do is to go ahead and just disregard the existence of God and ignore the existence of God. Because here's the thing. If I say that God, that there is no God, and God does not exist, if I do not acknowledge God in my life, then I am not accountable to that God. That God doesn't have authority over me. That God doesn't have the right to order my life or tell me what to do if he doesn't exist and if I can block him out. If I can act like and live like and claim that I do not believe in God, then that means that I am, I am my own autonomous self. I am my own authority, not the Bible. I become 
the one who determines what's right and wrong for me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you and I, if I were to go around in this room and say, hey, how many of you know somebody who professes to be an atheist? You may or may not raise your hand, but I'm telling you right now that the vast majority of at least Americans and even some who claim the name of Jesus live life as practical atheists. We may say we believe there's a creator. We may say that we're accountable to him. And yet we don't live our lives like we are. Does that make sense to you? So the question I have for myself as we close this evening, Christian, what areas of my life, what areas of your life Are we living as if God's lordship does not hold sway? Is there an area of your life that you are holding back from Jesus having his way?